0: with me, and let's honor the reading of the Word of God here in Proverbs chapter number four. We're going to read two verses here. There's a part of us as pastors that we have, as as we grow and mature in our faith, we develop a father heart to our church family. And I've shared openly with you that, you know, I, I, I have a deep-seated conviction that God's purpose and intention for me personally was to be a father to my six children, but as I've matured in faith as a pastor, I have certainly um, began to learn to walk into that father heart towards the entirety of my church family, and here these words kind of capture here David speaking to his son Solomon, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. I know that Proverbs we think of as Solomon, but some of Solomon's instruction is directly coming from his father, David. He said, for I give you a good Christmas present. I give you good doctrine. Good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Now turn with me to Acts chapter number two, and I'm actually going through the motions of Acts. I know we're gonna put them on the screen, and that's a great thing. I'm, I'm turning in my Bible because I want greater familiarity with the actual scriptures that are in front of me. Uh, verse number 42 is very familiar to us. Uh, it's, it's, it, it has set the context for a lot of sermons that I've preached over the years. And I'm not alone in this. But the 42nd verse says, and they, this was those that were added to the church after the day of Pentecost or on the day of Pentecost. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. That's what's going to happen today in our church family, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and, and uh, prayers, but also uh, the apostles' doctrine. And then t- one verse here in Titus chapter 2, though we'll be back in Titus in a moment. Here Paul says to Titus chapter 2, verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So I want you to think about this with me for just a moment because I've been preaching about doctrine. I've been very, um, you know, focused on creating within our church family the the expectation that you've got to become studious of the Word of God and you've got to be established in, in a doctrinal basis. So there's good doctrine, there's the apostles' doctrine, and there's sound doctrine. I want you to hear that good doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, and sound doctrine. We're going to talk about sound doctrine today. Father, I love you, and I'm thankful for this moment that I have to preach to this church family, that they would give me their time and come from near and afar to be here in this, Father, this service today. And I'm honored that they would, Father, come here, and I pray, Lord, that that nothing would hinder us from receiving the Word of God. I pray, Lord, today for a clear conviction in this house. It's easy for us to get distracted, Father, from the pulpit to the pew, but I pray today, God, in the name of Jesus, that there'll be nothing within us that will rob us from hearing the clear, concise teachings of your word. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen, and you can be seated. You know what this is, as pastors are preaching today, certainly I'm sure many of them are doing what I'm doing, and that is kind of regathering from where we've been the latter few weeks, anticipate where we're going. You know, the role of a pastor is not just a preacher or a, a mentor or a, an administrator and all of those things, and certainly our desire is to be a teacher and teach the good Word of God. And in the latter few weeks, I've been in this vein about uh, for coming primarily from the Apostle Paul's writing in Second Timothy chapter number 3, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. I've been, and I'll probably even uh, allude to that in a, a few moments or, or, or quickly scan over a uh, scripture. And I've talked about my manner of life. I've used that phrase found in Paul's writing in 2 Timothy 3, where Paul said, You have known my manner of life. I've talked to you about the dangers of a modified gospel uh, that we're going through. It's kind of in this sense of a apologetics It's kind of in defense of the faith and in defense of the gospel. And I thought to close the year out, I thought, well, you know, I'll transition away from this. But my studies just would not let me. I'm telling you, church family, it's just something that's deep in my spirit right now. And I, I just got to finish it out. So I want you to open your heart today because I think if you'll stay with me, I want to challenge you very quickly. I'm in the, Somewhere in the middle of this, I'm going to talk about a couple of controversial subjects, as I am known to do from this pulpit. And if you're new to our church family, if you stop right there and you don't go with me into the completion, then you could take offense in what I say today and you'd be the one in error, not me. You would be the one in error because you'd be taking what I said out of context and closing me off and not allowing me to bring things to a fulfillment. So I'm going to challenge you today. I want to talk about sound doctrine. I'm going to go ahead and retrace some steps. Phil's going to follow real quickly on the screen. He's going to flash them. I'm gonna, I believe that it's powerful for you to follow things on the screen, but I want, to, I want you to know that there is no substitute for having your own copy of the B-I-B-L-E and to become familiar with it and to have the pages stained from your own fingerprints. Come on. Where you've spent time reading and meditating. Paul said in First Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 3, He said that thou mightest teach no other doctrine. I want you to see as Paul is addressing two of his sons in the faith. He's addressed Timothy as his son in the faith. In a moment, he'll address Titus as his son in the faith. And he's speaking to Timothy about his ministry at Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, this is my charge to you that you charge those that are in ministry with you that they teach no other doctrine. Follow it down, 10th verse towards the end of the verse it says if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine there's that term sound doctrine again i'm turning to the fourth chapter the sixth verse paul tells timothy if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of jesus christ that's the thing that all of us pastors want to be known as a good or a faithful minister of jesus christ he said that that if they will be nourished up in the words of faith And of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Let's keep going down. The 13th verse of the same fourth chapter. Till I come. So now Paul is telling Timothy. He said, till I arrive uh, as an apostolic representative to Ephesus. He said, here's how I want you to govern the services. He said, I want you to give attendance to reading. What's reading? Reading. uh, And why would he say that? Because not everybody had their own personal copy of the word of God. They had to go to the assembly or to the church. They had to gather with God's people in order to hear the reading of the word. So Paul told Timothy, make sure you read the scriptures publicly. And then exhort the scriptures. I want you to exhort, preach, proclaim the word of God. And then to doctrine. The word doctrine literally means instruction, teaching, or that which has been taught. So he's saying, Timothy, when you gather with God's people, make sure that you read the word of God. Make sure that you exhort the Word of God, and make sure that you teach people the Word of God. And in doing so, that that would cause me to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Let's go a little bit farther. The 16th verse, he said, take heed unto yourself. Guard yourself. He said, and unto the doctrine. Guard the doctrine. The doctrine is very important. The teaching is very important. What's taught in our pulpits is very important. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will both save yourself and them that hear thee. It's critical that we have sound doctrine. Man, I'm preaching way ahead of y'all. Let me say, it is critical that we have sound doctrine. Because I want you to know, it's not only the church that's teaching. There's a lot of pulpits in America today that aren't found in the four walls of a church. So there's a lot of teaching that comes forth to us, and we have to guard ourselves. We want that which is uh, uh, what we can define as good doctrine. Let's go a little bit farther. What would be good doctrine? The sixth chapter, the third verse. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words here, he said, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Good doctrine is according to godliness. Good doctrine promotes godliness in your life. A conformity to the will of God. A transforming of who you are into the very image of Jesus Christ. Let's go farther. Paul's second epistle. Once again, please give me five to ten minutes to just establish this precedence. That the apostle is charging both Timothy and then Titus. The 16th verse of the third chapter says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for what? for doctrine, for instruction. And then let's turn, go farther. The second verse of the fourth chapter, he challenges us preachers to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So the preacher's responsibility is whether he feels like it or not, whether it is socially or culturally acceptable, that if you have what is defined biblically as good doctrine, then you preach it because that's the truth of the word of God. It's a challenge to us preachers. And then in the third verse is a warning of the very same passage. And I preached from this several weeks ago. Many of you may remember this. For the time will come when they will not they will not endure sound doctrine. But what will they do? But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And the reason why I'm taking the time to go through this and just quickly extract these verses, I want you to see that doctrine meant a lot to the Apostle Paul. That it was very important that those that he influenced, he influenced them doctrinally. Because as he told Timothy, he said, The things that you have seen and heard in me commit thou to faithful men shall be able to teach others also. Because there is a pyramid effect in it. That the doctrine begins here and then it expands as it goes beyond us. And so Paul is really challenging. Then we go to Titus. We read in the second chapter, the first verse, but we're going to back up to the ninth verse. Holding fast the faithful word, the first chapter, as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Second chapter, first verse, speak thou the things that become what? Sound doctrine. And then in the seventh verse, the Bible plainly says here that we use doctrine that is uncorruptible. What does that mean? It's pure doctrine. It is the unadulterated word of Almighty God. Now, let me begin to say a couple of things, and we'll read one more verse of Scripture here in this context, a couple of verses, and then I'm going to back away, and I'm going to expound upon what the Lord's laid in my heart. Doctrine in the church can be very divisive. Let me read one other passage here along this line, and let me give you some explanation to this, because now I want to start expounding upon it, because I know some of you say, Pastor, I kind of see what you're saying. The Bible, Paul's using the term sound doctrine, good doctrine, uh, pure doctrine, uh, but let me just say this, doctrine can be very divisive. More divisive than the color of the carpet, more divisive than uh, you know, planning a, a, a trip within the church. Doctrine can create the division. And in Romans chapter number 16, Paul even addresses this in the 17th verse. He said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. And so doctrine creates a division. Let me even read a couple of other verses of Scripture and then begin to expound. 2 John 1 and 9. John, the beloved who laid his head on the bosom of Christ on the very last supper, said these words to us, Whosoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. That's very offensive because John is just laying it out right there. If you transgress, if you sin, and you do not abide in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, he said, then you don't have God. The 10th verse he said, and if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. Pastor Brown, is doctrine supposed to be so divisive? This is the point of life and death. This is eternity with God or eternal condemnation. And so here he says, if they don't bring this doctrine, don't receive him into your house and neither bid him Godspeed. Let me say this to you today as I begin to transition and begin to expound upon good doctrine and sound doctrine. The reason doctrine in the church is so divisive is because Jesus' ministry and his teaching was so divisive. Jesus didn't say, I come to bring peace on the earth. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. He said, my doctrine will set asunder. He said, it will part houses. He said, it'll it'll separate sometimes even households because some will uh, have a a faith in this direction. He said, but i am come to say this. So Jesus' doctrine was very divisive. The aspect of Jesus' ministry that created controversy was not his miracles. The people loved his miracles. They followed him for his miracles. They followed him to see if he would break bread. They followed him to see if he would open blind eyes, if he would unstop deaf ears. They followed him for the miracles and it wasn't his mercy and his compassion jesus was merciful and he was compassionate and he had a a miraculous ministry but the divisive part of Jesus' ministry was his message the doctrine that he taught was divisive they were the bible says plainly about jesus ministry and his message was that they were astonished at his doctrine they were caught off guard they had never heard anybody say the things that he said And part of the controversy associated with the doctrine of Jesus was that Jesus said, this is not my message. Did you know in John chapter number 7, Jesus said this. He said, the doctrine that I'm sharing with you is not mine. He said, but I got it from the Father. I've got this message from the Father. And so Jesus' doctrine was spoken with a conviction and a power and an anointing that nobody could actually, they, 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 they sought to contend, the only way they could contend against him was to create lies in opposition to his message because his message was so firm and so, so solidified in faith. But let me just say this, Jesus' doctrine agitated, perverted, hypocritical spiritual leaders. It confounded Rome's political leaders. His doctrine was against the liberal teachings of the Sadducees, and it was against the pious, hypocritical teachings of the Pharisees. His doctrine was offensive, it was controversial, and it was narrow-minded. And if Jesus was living today and walking on the earth, he would be called a bigot by our culture today. Because a bigot is one that believes his do- he is intolerant in his doctrine. You say, why would you say that Jesus is a bigot? Because we sang about it a moment ago in the psalm. You sang about Jesus as bigoted, doctrine. Yes, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes by the fa- to the Father but by me. And so that would be, in our time today, that would be bigoted because we are intolerant of someone else's position. Jesus is saying that you want to go to God, you want to have eternity in heaven, there are not 17 different ways. You can't Google it, and you can't download it, and you can't bring it in. You either come to me through the faith that God's put in your heart to trust in my work on the cross, or you don't come to God. His word was divisive, and it's still divisive to this very day. We would call Jesus in our culture today mean-spirited. You know why we call it mean spirit? Because they brought a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and laid her at his feet. And you said, well, no, what, Jesus didn't cast a stone on her. No, but he also told her, go and sin no more. And that's all it takes today. That's all it takes to be labeled a mean-spirited bigoted is to, be, to tell somebody, go and sin no more. The doctrine of the Word of God is critical to us, church family. There is a battle raging for it while the church sleeps. While we play our little church games all around us, all around us, the enemy is at work. I think for a moment of time, we're almost like the son, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar in a few moments. But his grandson, Belshazzar, his his grandson, Belshazzar, the third generation there from Nebuchadnezzar when the kingdom of Babylon was taken by the Medes and the Persians. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that Belshazzar had cast a feast and was drinking and partying when all the while the Medes and the Persians were around him drying up the Euphrates River that flowed into the city of Babylon. And in the middle of his party, the enemy erupted and came in and and, and killed him the very night. While he's partying and drinking, like the enemy is not at work. Let me tell you, while we slumber and sleep, the enemy is at work. Duping the minds of those that are around us with not sound doctrine, false doctrine. And the reason why I'm so, I'm 50 years old, and I've been preaching since I was 17, And as I grow and mature in my faith, I'm seeing something take place. And I'm not trying to make myself this watchman on the wall, but I will say this, every pastor ought to have some measure of being a watchman on the wall. Uh, Every pastor ought to have his eye open and say, there's some things coming down the pike that's just not of God. And it's deceiving many in our generation while we play games inside the four walls of the church. While we don't know what we believe and we don't know why we believe it. While we're unfamiliar with the teachings of the Word of God. I want to challenge you, church family, it is time it is high time Paul said to awaken out of our sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we believe it is time now to be rooted and grounded and know what we believe and be unashamed to hold forth the truth of the word of God I believe in sound doctrine today don't you I believe it and you got to know it you got to ascribe to it we should not be surprised that the world finds the doctrine of the church offensive sound doctrine opposes distorted perverted doctrine culturally the children of darkness are propagating three major doctrinal positions to our entire culture and even the church can i talk about those today now this is where if you cut me off and don't let me finish you're going to walk out of here and then you're going to call me that mean-spirited intolerant preacher narrow minded i went back and saw some of my old sermons from days gone by called the narrow-minded church and the narrow-minded preacher and you know what nothing's changed I'm still narrow-minded because I still believe in the Word of God today, and it's not going to change, and the teachings of of, of Scripture. And here's what's happening around us. What's happening around us is because the enemy, through his threats of falsely accusing the church, is attempting to mute the church, where we can't speak against or speak out about controversial issues because we're afraid of being called those very labels that I've already spoken of, bigoted, mean-spirited, and intolerant. But I'm not going to allow that to intimidate me from preaching good doctrine because I want the Word of God. I want Paul. I want what Jesus said. I want this to be uh, that that part of my life. Here's a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I put you in remembrance of these things. That's my heart in here today. What are some of the three things that I've watched and observed in my lifetime? And you have too. And one in particular has really gained steam. Number one is uh, belief in evolution. We don't even talk about it anymore in the church, because the spirit of Antichrist has been successful in propagating evolution to the masses. You can't buy your children a book on dinosaurs. A, a, a children's book. You can't buy a children's book on dinosaurs without it being what, seventeen kazillion trillion years ago. If you're a young Earth creationist, you are a fanatic. You're foolish. You're an uneducated hillbilly like me. That's the perception of the world. And we've just bought into it. we just bought into it hook, line, and sinker. If you believe in a flood, you know, a global worldwide flood, how foolish is that? You know why the world doesn't want to believe in a global worldwide flood? I'll tell you right now. Because that shows the sovereignty of God over his creation and his willingness to judge ungodliness. And because the apostle Peter said that when God held the waters back, He said he's holding it back until the day of judgment. And so if you believe in the first judgment, then you believe in a day of judgment. And the reason the world doesn't want to hear about the judgment of the past, because they don't want to believe that there's a judgment yet to come. But we're not preaching the true gospel if we don't tell people there is a judgment yet to come. All men are going to stand and give account of themselves before God one day. Every man, I don't care who you are, whether you're poor or whether you're born in, in, the, in the, uh, the, the affluent, richest home in the world. It doesn't matter. There will come a day. There will come a day when you will stand before God and you will give account of yourself before him one day. And so, so we, that's already happened. The, the enemy's been successful in that one. Not as successful, but you're seeing this happening in our culture today. A hundred years ago, it wouldn't even hardly be thought of, but it's happening today. Profession of faith in Christ, yes, but that Christ is not the only way to heaven. So, so those that don't oppose the church are trying to run alongside the church. And so then instead of, uh, instead of uh, meeting us head on, then they can kind of just deviate us just a little while. I actually just read just several weeks ago that there was a Baptist pastor, hard to fathom, a Baptist pastor that ridiculed the preaching and the teaching that Jesus was the way, the only way to God. It's hard for me to even fathom that a Baptist pastor would say, but see, that's what's happened. The culture and the the ideology and the theology and the doctrinal beliefs have penetrated even into the church. Let me go one farther than this one. And number three, and these are the things that I'm just telling you that I see being taught in our culture that's trying to press into the church. There is a subtle attempt that if you'll stay with me, I'll bring clarity. But number three is the most controversial one, and that is that homosexuality is a natural instinct. Heterosexual and homosexual are both legitimized forms of sexuality. And anything contrary is homophobic, bigoted, mean-spirited, hateful, and non-inclusive and as a result of that the pressure that the culture has put on the church many churches are muted from even addressing it because they're afraid they're afraid to speak out because they don't want to fall under those labels and so i want to but at the same time i want i want you to know today church family that we've got to guard ourselves from allowing the pressures of the world to dictate our theology Here's the reality, you don't just, here's the, here's the attempt of the enemy. It used to be subtle, it's no longer. That you won't just uh, disagree with LGBT ideology, but you will agree with it, speaking to the church. Here's the, man, here's the mandate that's coming to the church. And, and it, what used to be subtle, it's no longer. You will not only agree with it, you will sanction it, you will promote it, and you will bless it in the name of God. Or else. That's coming. It's already in the works. What we said, I by And pretend that these things don't matter. Let me tell you, there's nothing different. than That's nothing different than the ancient Roman emperors demanding either emperor worship or acceptance and worship of sacrifice to their gods. You will worship our gods or else. Let me tell you what's happening today in our culture today. It's almost, again, like King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you all remember that? The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel he erected a great uh, statue of gold. And and his... um, those in his camp said, We're going to play music. And whenever you hear the sound of the music, I don't care where you are, you're going to stop and you're going to bow down and you're going to worship this, this statue. And the Bible tells us of the narrative that they played that music and everybody fell down and worshiped. But there were three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that refused to bow down and worship the, 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 the statue. And so when they brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before the king, the king said, did you really do that? He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to play the music again. And if you want to get it right, you're going to dance to my music, and you're going to worship my doctrine, and you're going to worship my statue. But I love what the three Hebrew children said. They said, king, we know that you've got a furnace, and that furnace you've promised that you're going to cast anybody that doesn't worship you into that furnace. He said, but we know this about our God, that our God is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. But, but if he chooses not to do so, we want you to know we're not going to bow. I don't care how long you play that music. I don't care what you do. We're not going to bow before your statue. I want you to know today, I believe God is calling a church out of the shadows that will rise up in bold apostolic faith and say, I refuse to bow to the pressures of the culture of our age. And that we are established in doctrinal truth. And we do so out of our love for God and our love for other people. Because sound doctrine is critical in the lives of men and women. A total disregard. See, what's it, here's what's at stake. It's not just that one issue. That one issue affects 1-3% to of all the American culture. But it's become this overwhelming pressure on even the church. And church is afraid to even address it. lest once again we get labeled. But what's at stake is a total disregard for sound doctrine. Because if you can mute me in this area, you can mute me in this area. That's what's at stake. If you, can, if you can take my conviction about this issue and mute me till I won't speak up about it, then at next, then you'll mute me in this other area. And I won't have the courage to speak up about that either. That's why I'm telling you it's bigger than just that issue. Unfortunately, I've told people this as people start saying, well, you judge me, you talk about these things. I, I didn't bring this to the church. This came to the church. The issue, it's, it's, there's a work, there's an attack of the enemy. But what I want you to know, church family, is that there is an expectation of God upon us pastors to preach sound doctrine, true doctrine, the doctrine of the word of God. The enemy's greatest lie Hath God really said? That's what's at stake. What do you mean by that? Go back to the Genesis. What did he tell Eve? Hath God really said? Did God really say it that way? Are you sure Jesus is really the only way to salvation? Are you sure he's really the son of God? Has God really said that if you don't put your faith, if you don't have God through Christ, then you don't have God? Has he really said that? That subtle attempt has permeated the church and it bleeds through to the doctrine of the body of Christ. Are y'all hearing me today? Sound doctrine is important, church family. We're closing out 2018. It's more important than ever that we know what we believe. You say, Pastor Brown, as we prepare to close in just a moment, you know what that means is? That means I'm about two-thirds of the way in. It means <laughs> I'm not yet finished, but I got other good things to say. What is sound doctrine? Can I explain that to you just a little bit? Let me tell you what sound doctrine is. Obviously it is the teachings of the apostles. Amen. Hmm. Wait a minute, Pastor Ram. I thought you're Christians. I thought you would be the teachings of Jesus. Let me say this. The teachings of Jesus come to us through the teachings of the apostles. Often most misunderstood are the teachings of Jesus because the teachings of Jesus have to be understood in their proper context. Jesus was a minister of the circumcision, which meant he was a Jew who came to minister to the Jewish people. As a whole, he was rejected by the Jewish people, and the kingdom of God was sent to the Gentile world. And with this comes the Apostle Paul as he writes to those who put their faith in Christ, and the teachings that you and I should know that we should read and study are the teachings that the apostles give us. Is the teaching that we are receiving in our churches today truly apostolic? I asked that question. I'm trying not to be critical, but I asked that question. Does it reveal the mystery of Christ? Is it according to godliness? Did y'all hear that? I read a verse to you that said true doctrine has to be according to godliness. Is it sound doctrine? Is it sincere doctrine? Is it grave? Is it uncorrupted? Does it build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone? Or does it appease the flesh? Sidestep controversial subjects, dull my spiritual senses, and focuses on my personal achievement, a new you in 2019. I'm sure that's what's going to be propagated throughout many of our churches. It's going to be the focus is going to be on you rather than on Him. Good doctrine reverses that. Good vo- doctrine says, take your eyes off yourself, quit trying to get all this put together, and look to what was already put together. If you're found in Him, you're complete in Christ Jesus. You can try to fix yourself all day long and you'll still be broken. But when you put your faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and you become infatuated with what He did for you on the cross, I'm telling you there is a miraculous release of the divine grace of God in your life that will change you from the inside out. It's like a child trying to grow. Remember when our children, we want to grow and and we want to get taller, And especially at basketball, it was meant a lot, you know, kids will try to stretch themselves and they'll hang from a bar, right? Or they'll kind of like hold their breath and hope that somehow they'll grow. And that's the way we think that if we'll just do this and we'll focus internally upon ourselves, then we'll grow. No, when you stop focusing on yourself and you start looking at Him and looking at the majesty and the wonder of the Word of Almighty God, that's when change begins to happen inside you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what produces the change. I wrote it this way. Did you know there has to be major doctrine and minor doctrines, principal elements of faith and foundational truths? Let me take a moment to explain that to you as I am genuinely preparing to close. I've been a little bit critical. I've been a little bit critical, and I'm not a critical person, but I've been a little bit critical of churches and even popular churches in our local area because I've seen a shallowness in their teaching. And so I've judged that a little bit critically, and I've gone back, and I've looked at them a little bit more uh, 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 closer. And in doing so, I felt like I should repent before the Lord because they are preaching doctrinal truths. But there's majors and minors, Jojo. You say, Pastor, is there really majors? Yes, there's. let me give you an example. Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter number 23 when he reproved the Pharisees. He told the Pharisees who were practicing tithing, He said you're practicing tithing he said but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment mercy and faith and he said it ought not be one without the other but it ought to be both and so i felt a sense of repentance because when i looked at some of their messages i saw that the messages are good and they're and they're helping a person in certain areas but they're omitting the weightier matters such as righteousness sanctification Justification by faith, doctrinal things that in many churches in America today, the people that heard, would hear that would say, Pastor, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. With the key doctrines, the key doctrines that give us a basis for who we are in Christ are being omitted, while the minor doctrines are being grasped more readily. And it shouldn't be one without the other, it should be both. But the minor doctrines should be built upon the major doctrines of faith. What we're doing is we're building without a foundation. So to close 2018, to close, let me say this. I want our fellowship, First Assembly of God. Do y'all feel that? First Assembly, a church with a a faithful history, 1936, April 1936. Join the Assemblies of God. I want us. To be an assembly to continue to teach and preach sound doctrine. That's my goal. I want to be somebody who studies and reads and meditates upon sound doctrine. And I want to teach sound doctrine, even if it's not the most exciting at times. Sometimes broccoli isn't the most exciting thing on the dish or on the plate. Let me know it's good for you. There's a lot of things in the Word of God. Okay, time to go, everybody. It's time to wrap up. <laughs> Let me finish here today just real quickly. I, wanted, I want to say this because I'm, I'm, I'm making this very personal in closing today, and I'm going to close with one example that I think will help you today. Sound doctrine. Don't See, Solomon said good doctrine. Acts 2 said the apostles' doctrine. Paul said sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy doctrine, whole doctrine, doctrine without impurities. I believe that you and I must know both major Bible doctrines, such as justification by faith, sanctification, and minor doctrines that deal with our daily life and God's will for our lives. Remember what Jesus said. He said, these ought you to have done and not to leave the others undone. It shouldn't be one without the other. It should be both. We should be willing to study things and long for things that are historical, foundational principles all the while while we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that make sense today? I want to give you an example in closing of contrasting doctrines that has been readily accepted in the church and even in your own life but may not be sound doctrine because sound doctrine is Bible doctrine that you can prove biblically. And I'm going to show you something today. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm using this as an example in closing, okay, as an example. sound. Paul said doctrine that's according to godliness, wholesome doctrine, good doctrine. He said, and take that and use that to, to share the gospel. Let me give you an example. Have you ever said this, I had to learn to forgive myself. Don't, don't say it out loud. Don't respond because I won't embarrass you. Most everyone has at some point in time. Typically, that phrase is spoken by someone who, must, who most possibly caused harm relationally or physically to someone else. So let me say that again. So in the process of their redemption, I've heard many, many, many times from many, many, many people, I had to learn to forgive myself. Let me tell you what that is. That's not sound doctrine. (sighs) You didn't want to say it, but you thought it. Because we often say this, I asked God to forgive me, but I hadn't forgiven myself. I'm going to show you here in closing the difference between that thought and sound doctrine. Because when you get sound doctrine, it'll change your entire verbiage. How you live, how you talk, how you think, how you relate to other people. So stay with me here very quickly. So you're saying, Pastor Brown, you mean that people are supposed to live in guilt and condemnation? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying, it's not sound doctrine because it makes you the judge. Now stay with me. Stay with me. It's going to take a spiritual ear to, to hear what I'm saying. Pastor Brown, what do you mean by that? You are announcing your own acquittal. I forgave myself. You're not the judge. Let me clarify that again. You are not the judge. God is the judge. You cannot announce your own acquittal. God is the judge. And here, if I have truly confessed my sin, if I've repented to God and then asked for forgiveness from the people that I hurt, which is often most overlooked because that's most difficult to do, It's easy to cry out and say, God, forgive me. It's a lot harder to cry out and say, please forgive me because I've hurt you. Let me go a little bit farther. But if you've done that, if you've done that, then what you have to learn to do is you have to learn to trust in God's acquittal, not your own acquittal, not saying I forgave myself because if you can say it in that area, then the next time you sin, then you may not even feel the need to go to God. You may not even feel the need to repent because you just forgive yourself because you've made yourself God. But when you know and recognize that God is the judge and that you have repented unto him and sought his forgiveness and you've asked of him to forgive you and to cleanse you, then you learn to trust in his response. And then you learn to live in what he declares over you, not what you declare over yourself. Let me give you an example. First John 1 and 9 says, if you confess, let me give you sound doctrine. In closing today. Here's sound doctrine in closing this message out today. If you confess your sins, then he, God, is faithful. And he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let me say that one more time because that's preaching ground right there. If I confess my sins and then God is faithful and he's just to forgive me of my sins and he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And then when my own heart condemns me, 1 John 3 says, God is greater than my heart. Then the Bible says, but what about when I'm being falsely accused by an enemy? 1 John 2 and 1 says, my little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And so I've got an advocate today that means a defense attorney. And my defense attorney is Jesus Christ. And when the enemy and my conscience and the devil and people around me are trying to accuse me before God, there is one that stands between me and their accuse, accusations. And that is, it's not me trying to defend myself. I forgave myself. No, it's Jesus standing between me and that uh, condemnation saying, no, he's forgiven because he repented before God. Man, that's a good word. That's sound doctrine. Let's go a little bit farther. Romans 5 and 1. Romans is that part of your Bible where your pages are still stuck together. Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, you have peace with God. I have peace with God today. I'm not waiting on peace. I'm not waiting for it to come in the mail. Some of y'all send me an envelope with a Christmas card every year, and it's exciting. I open that up, and there's a Christmas. I'm not waiting on that to come. I have already received it. I'm at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 and 1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Man, that'll bring the preacher out of you. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, Paul said this, I am what I am because I forgave myself. Come on now, go with me right there. I am what I am because I hurt people and then I repented and I felt like I was just, I was sad and I wasn't forgiving myself. No, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul said, I was before a persecutor. I was a blasphemer, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But God, the God of all grace, had mercy upon me. And so I am what I am by the grace of Almighty God. I'm not here today on this stage saying I am acquitted because I forgave myself. I'm on this stage today. They say, I'm I'm acquitted because the judge acquitted me and now it's just as if I've uh, not sinned in his sight. And Philippians 2 and verse number 13 in closing says, it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the confidence that I have in not myself is in Christ. And it clears my consciousness To be able to relate to other people. Good doctrine and sound doctrine produces a justification by faith in Christ. Not you of yourself. And so I wanted to show you that in contrast to cultural expectations. The enemy can slide something in that looks good. Sounds good. But may not be sound doctrine. And if you don't know the word of God. Then you can bite it. Take it. And eventually, it may be good for a while, but it's corrupted. The doctrine that Paul said was uncorrupted. But you've got to study it to find it. You've got to search for it. It's like gold and treasure. How many of you know right here inside this is gold and treasure buried? Many of you open Christmas gifts, and you're excited what was on the inside of that package. Oh, if only you would take the time to search through the pages of the Word of God for the rubies and the gold and the silver that's hidden in the pages of this book. The Word of God, that's what Paul said, sound doctrine. I want to ask you all to stand up with me today. Darrell, you coming back with me. Thank you. I didn't know what side you were on. I couldn't see you until I took my glasses off. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sound doctrine. Can I say this? let me be as clear and transparent as I can. Sometimes, church family, I I have little moments, just little moments of, um, you know, I I don't know the right word. Maybe, you know, Elijah had it for a while when Elijah said, Lord, there's just nobody. You know, they've all done this, and I know I'm not the only Lone Ranger. I'm not a Lone Ranger in the church preaching doctrinal issues, but I sometimes see the success, what we call the success of other churches that don't preach doctrinal truths quite as consistently as we do here at First Assembly. And, you know, and sometimes I let that bother me and get down in my heart a little bit. Can I be honest? I do. And, but then when I go to the scriptures and I see what Paul taught and I see what Paul said for us as preachers to teach, and I contrast that with some of the things that are being taught in our culture today. And I think to myself, somewhere along the line, the line has been blurred. Sound doctrine can create offense and separation. Sound doctrine, in one sense, you can call it bigoted in the sense. If that's the term that everybody likes to throw out, I, I, I Google searched it today to make sure that I define it pr- properly for you. But it means intolerant. Sound doctrine is intolerant. There's, we're not going to modify it for you. We're not going to change it for you to make you feel better. We're, we're going to preach it and teach it, and then if you accept it, your life changes and conforms to it. We're not going to conform the doctrine to your expectation. Does that make sense? I believe that's sound doctrine. And I know it's not always as exciting and it's not always, uh, you know, fanciful, but I'm telling you, It's necessary. The spirit of Antichrist is at work today. The spirit of Antichrist is at work to dilute the truth of the Word of God. What's sad, Gloria, is that we, we, we don't have an established system within ourselves to be able to judge counterfeit from authentic because we're biblically ignorant in the church. And so I'm saying... I'm not trying to make myself out like I'm the prophet of the watchman and, and all this. I'm not writing books, and I'm not creating websites. But I am saying as a pastor, I'm trying to warn you. There's a darkness that's fallen upon the United States. There's a darkness there. And, and, and it's the, the minds of people are being polluted and distorted. And you've got to know what you believe. and You've got to know why you believe it. Let me give an invitation as our heads bowed and eyes close for just a moment. First of all, to that.